Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Good morning, Yuma. This is Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM KBLU. I'm your host today with the one and only Mr. Attorney Sean Garner, and we're talking about uh, issues that are really to the forefront at this time because of um, recent news. And specifically, we're going to be talking about uh, energy and where do we get it, how are we using it, and are we doing the right things? And is the government getting in the way? We've been talking a lot uh, recently within the last year and a half, two years, about constitutional issues and how they affect our daily lives. So how does the Constitution play into all this and how does how does our daily life uh, become affected by what the government chooses to do or what our government officials choose to do or not to do when implementing different types of energy sources in our in our lives and uh, there has been Sean wouldn't you agree a huge push for alternative energy sources and usually when, when you're driving on the freeway from Yuma to let's say Phoenix or Yuma to San Diego inevitably you're going to see off the side of the highway, huge solar farms. And so solar has been such a big issue, especially here in Arizona, and a big I feel like a big push for um, a lot of people to go on to solar-powered energy in order to alleviate the grid or to bring in alternative methods of being, uh, quote, green, um, and what we're seeing now is that if you were to really break it down, g- going green in the way of wind turbines or um, uh, solar panels really in the long run is worse for the environment is what they're saying now. Studies show that that you not only kill the natural inhabitants of that environment that you have to build the solar farm on, but also it's wreaking havoc on our our climate in the sense that it, it creates a lot of pollution just to make these panels or make these turbines. And um, that wasn't really what was sold to us in the very beginning. What was sold to us was if you go to solar, you're doing the environment a favor and you're saving our planet and that's the only way to go, that and wind. So solar and wind and hydro in there. What's not really being talked about a lot is the availability and the the actual common sense of using nuclear power. You know, nuclear power has been demonized over the years because uh, there's been a lot of sensationalization of the stories where nuclear fails. And we've had these um, stories where Chernobyl had that big meltdown and uh, it, it exploded essentially and it caused this big plume of radioactive material to go up into the air and uh, spread throughout, you know, it went into the upper atmosphere and spread over the earth. Um, So it caused a lot of fear with that. The reality is um, actual deaths linked to Chernobyl were significantly lower than most people understand. In fact, it was less than 30. And so uh, that is, that's amazing. I think most people don't know that. Of course, um, more recently, in I believe it was 2005, that's when we had that Fukushima um, nuclear power plant meltdown because of the big tsunami there in Japan. And uh, 
that that plant is still shut down. I don't think they're ever going to uh, fire it back up again. And a lot of people said, well, this is the telltale sign that nuclear is on its way out forever. Um, in reality, nobody died from exposure to uh, nuclear leakage from that plant, but 2,000 at least people died because of the fear and the scrambling of the, the evacuation. And in fact, a lot of people in nursing homes um, suffered because of heart attack and panic because they were trying to get them out so quickly when in reality, the amount of uh, nuclear exposure that they were subject to was so small that it was highly unlikely to ever cause any adverse health reactions. We're lucky to live in a, in a state where nuclear is actually one of our big energy producers. You might not know that, but uh, we are. And in fact, if it weren't for our nuclear reactor in Palo Verde, or reactors, I should say, there would be a huge shortage in power on the western front of the United States. Palo Verde accounts for most of the power in New Mexico and most of the power here in Arizona and California. It goes all the way to Texas and even beyond where we're shipping power out, in a sense, because of Palo Verde. And Palo Verde, it's kind of close to my heart because I've talked about this on the program before. My grandfather worked there for over a decade as a journeyman welder. And he, I had gone out to Palo Verde as a, in my teenage years to visit my grandfather. And he walked me around and showed me some of the reactors and things like that and explained in basic terms how things were working and what he did. And, and uh, he did that, I think, twice. And um, I was just blown away. At the time, I didn't realize as a teenager that this was so controversial. I didn't. To me, it was just another energy source. And he explained to me, you know, how it worked and how they used the uh, uranium and they put these rods in there. And uh, in basic terms, I didn't get the whole thing he was saying, but I trusted him. And uh, that was my first contact with Palo Verde. Uh, when I became an adult and I did more research and and became more involved in these issues, I started to find that wow, Palo Verde is really one of those things that is a staple for the western part of the United States. And without it, we would really be crippled when it comes to energy. We've got to push right now to go more electric for our vehicles. And what I've heard, I don't know if this is true or not, but what you hear is that, well, if more people were to get on the grid, then that would cause infrastructure problems. And in California, to the extent that they would have to do rolling blackouts, the grid cannot support that much electricity that would be needed for that many electric vehicles to be charged. So we need energy from somewhere. California has historically had issues with with, uh, producing their own energy and looking to other states, neighboring states, to get their energy, um, as well as water. So Arizona is well positioned to continue to deliver and make money off of, and they should be making money, we should be making money off of our neighboring states. If they're not willing to put in investments into nuclear or or this type of energy source that can really benefit not only the environment, but us as as human beings, then they ought to pay for that. And, And we're here to supply that to them. My question is, why are we not moving more towards nuclear? Why, why is it such a, um, pariah in the eyes of the government is it a government problem do you think sean is it a is a red tape problem a bureaucracy problem that that doesn't allow us to put little nuclear reactors outside of every community like yuma for example that could 
and definitely power the community and we don't need to borrow energy from anybody else. Is there a way to do it safely? And why aren't we doing this? I, I'm certainly not an expert on the subject, but as far as I know, no new nuclear plants have been built since the 70s. And the technology that's being used is particularly from back in that era. Now, we know that uh, technology advances, especially in computerization, of how we can use um, these fuels more efficiently has has expanded and, and made the capability of using the same resources so much more efficiently. In fact, uh, a certain article that I read this morning talked about the fact that we could not only use nuclear or create energy through nuclear with fission, but create it through fusion, which is actually a hundred times more efficient, 100 times more efficient than fission. Fission nuclear is significantly more productive and efficient than um, power created through solar. It is a lot less harmful on the environment. For example, it requires 400 times less resources in land, in mining, in all of the um, materials used to create the actual facility or, or the panels necessary than a comparable nuclear plant. 400 times. That's a lot. And solar is not just uh, green, 100%. Solar takes a lot of environmentally dangerous materials and puts them together and uses them for a relatively brief period of time. A, a typical solar panel has a lifespan of about 25 years, and then it needs to be disposed of, and those materials um, have negative impacts on our environment. In fact, it is cost prohibitive to dispose them in the United States. Most used solar panels get shipped across seas where other countries agree to dispose of them properly, and you know, in reality, probably just dump them in the ocean. And so we have solar, Adam. We've got solar on a uh, parking structure right outside our building. I've got solar um, on another separate structure at my house. And so I use it because I want to try to be environmentally friendly. I want to be responsible. But looking at just the cost analysis, there's no way I could afford it unless it was subsidized by the taxpayers. It was I, I get a tax credit, a direct tax credit when I install solar panels. And it still takes me 10 years to recoup the investment that I put into those solar panels um, in offsetting the electric costs that I save. So um, the point being is there's a spin on the story. There's a spin on how green it is and how cost effective it really is. So we look a little bit broader, we look outside the box a little bit and say, what other options are there? Well, it's this option that's been around for a very long time, and it's nuclear. Let me let me play a clip from Bob Bement from Palo Verde, and he explains a little bit more of what the plant actually means for the United States and for our energy source. Palo Verde is a wonderful resource for the Southwest. We've been the largest generator of electricity for the last 27 years. We take great pride in that. We are the largest clean energy producer in the United States of America, and we're, we're right here uh, in the West, West Valley. We produce 70%, about 70% of Arizona's clean energy, about 80% of uh, New Mexico's clean energy. The equipment in Palo Verde isn't the same equipment 
is when we built it in the late 70s, early 80s. We continue to upgrade Palo Verde. Uh, as new technology comes, we implement that new technology. So the plant is continuing to be upgraded. But if you look at capacity factor, uh, by far the most efficient is nuclear. Uh, we generate a 92% capacity factor uh, compared to other clean sources that are, that are generating 35% and less. And that's just on their availability, whether that's sun, whether that's wind, whether that's hydro. Uh, they're just limited on, on when they're available to produce. A lot of people don't understand how nuclear actually works. And so let me just break it down. I'm, again, not an expert on the subject, but I've read a bit about it. In fact, there's a wonderful book out there about it. It's by uh, Michael Schellenberger, and the book is called Apocalypse Never. And he talks about his conversion as a 30-year-old into a green activist. He wanted to preserve the environment. He, he really cared for it. He grew up in California, and uh, he grew up kind of with some hippie parents and wanted to pursue um, the American dream, which is loving the environment and growing up and, and also enjoying uh, not only nature, but everyday luxuries that we enjoy here in America. And so he went around and he started advocating um, with Greenpeace. Well, what he found out was that was more of a political structure. And then when there was alternative options to actually reduce CO2 emissions and actually address the real concerns that they were advocating for so publicly, it was more about power and control over the narrative than it was preservation of the environment and clean energy. And so here's how nuclear is actually uh, how it works. First of all, you take uranium, which um, is in abundance. In the United States alone, uh, I don't know about around the world, but there is an abundant amount of uranium that can be mined, and it actually takes far less um, excavation to mine uranium than it does for uh, materials necessary to create solar panels. So you get this uranium, and uh, you have to enrich it to a certain level before it can become radioactive sufficient to generate electricity. But with these uranium rods, you put them uh, in a cement container that has water, and then you fire neutrons at them. And when you fire the neutrons at them, it splits the uranium atoms, and the smaller atoms require less elect or uh, less power to s be sustained and so the excess power generates heat heats up the water that water is pressurized about 300 times the regular pressure the atmospheric pressure to keep it from going into steam you know evaporating and then it's pumped through kind of like a radiator into um other areas surrounded by water and those that water then evaporates and turns turbines which creates electricity so then that electricity obviously goes into um, the grid and provides electricity for our homes and our businesses the byproduct of all this is steam and a lot of times even that is recaptured cooled down into water again and then regenerated oftentimes these power plants are um, built around some natural cooling resources like the ocean where they can pump in water from the ocean to cool down some of the reactors as necessary or use, use that water to um, 
produce the steam necessary to produce the electricity. So that's how nuclear energy is provided. What is the downside? Of course, there's nuclear waste. So once those rods are spent, what do you do with them? And that's what had a lot of people concerned is that we're stockpiling all this nuclear waste and it's creating this environmental problem. Maybe these containers, they rust and corrode and leak into the groundwater. And then we're going to have kids that are being born with, you know, forearms and, and bad problems, right? So we don't want that. Um, just as you heard on that clip, on that YouTube clip about the Palo Verde plant, they're very careful on how they um, treat nuclear waste. And also, since the technology, since plants haven't been built since the 70s, the technology and how much you can get out of each fuel rod has increased a bunch. And so the, the amount of electricity from each fuel rod is significant. In fact, a peanut of uranium produces about as much electricity as 800 pounds of coal. So if you're looking at comparison-wise, it's far, far more efficient. I mean, we're talking about thousands of times more efficient. I read an article, um, and we're coming up on a, a big conference for the U.S. Energy um, Information Administration. The association that really deals with them most is uh, the Nuclear Energy Institute. And basically, some of the data that they put forth was that uh, U.S. nuclear electricity generation capacity peaked in 2012 when there was 104 nuclear reactors with a capacity to output 102 gigawatts. By the end of 2021, the nation had 93 operating nuclear reactor, re reactors with an output capacity of around 95 gigawatts. Their total output came in at 778 million megawatts hour, uh, megawatt hours last year, which accounted for 19% of America's electricity. In other words, that's enough to power around 70 million homes. And this article goes on to say um, America's reserves are also under the, under the crosshairs of the U.S. government, with the Department of Energy committing almost $1 billion to its, uh, quote, defense environmental cleanup program that aims to destroy the supply uh, of this product, thorium, um, that, that the government is trying to snuff out. Thorium can break down nuclear waste and provide clean energy, like Sean was saying. The, the problem is the nuclear waste, or not a problem, but that's a foreseen problem, is you, you're piling up all this nuclear waste, and how do you get rid of that? Well, the thorium is, is an element that, that breaks down or has fa been found to break down the nuclear waste. And so the government is kind of putting a kibosh on that and um, saying, well, you can't mine that stuff or use it as much as you could in the past. So I asked the question originally, Sean, you know, what, why aren't we moving towards nuclear more? And I think, number one, the issue might be one of perception. We know about Three Mile Island. We know about Chernobyl, or at least what the media has portrayed to us as, as the fallouts that happened in those instances. What's good about those is that it taught us some lessons and the nuclear industry has learned from those lessons what i've heard over time a few years ago my brother was telling me about um, these units that are called uh, small small modular reactors and they're the size of let's say a semi 
Um, and so a semi-sized nuclear reactor, which has the capacity to, to power easily the community of, of Yuma and beyond um, for the indefinite future. And they, this technology is what they're working on, that they've actually built these, they've tested them, and they can be built in a factory, which is really nice because the, the challenges with nuclear is the cost of building the huge plants that we, we know of. So we know that they've ramped down nuclear generation. They've, they've shut down mo a lot of the plants here in the United States. But in reality, nuclear energy, like we've stated, is cleaner than and better for the environment than solar or wind turbines. And so why aren't we moving that direction? My first, my first uh, inclination is to blame the government. I'm sure there's some sort of government regulations that just don't allow for us to do what we're trying to do. Uh, what's neat is that the American ingenuity and American spirit allows for technological advances that, that uh, we, we're known for. That's what we do here in America is we, we come up with wonderful ideas. And I think the fear is that, well, if we go more and more into nuclear, there's going to be a fallout or the, the repercussions or the threat of nuclear and my, uh, to my family is, is such that we shouldn't go that direction. Instead, we need to put either go all in with, new, with uh, solar or with turbines, wind turbines. But in reality, it takes so much land to put these solar panels up. And in doing that, for example, in California alone, when they put in one of their largest solar fields, they had to go in and try and transplant the desert tortoises that they that were living in that environment, most of which died in that transplantation process because they don't, the tortoises don't take kindly to being transplanted um, or living in captivity. And that's what happened to a lot of these tortoises. So in the effort to clear out all this land to put these panels in there, and they tried to save these tortoises and the indigenous wildlife there, most of that wildlife ended up being jeopardized uh, in that process. And that can be all eliminated if you're able to reduce the footprint necessary to generate power. Nuclear has the ability to do that, but to build a reactor or a facility like Palo Verde nowadays is cost prohibitive. It takes an incredible amount of money to build a nuclear plant like we have in Palo Verde. Is it worth the initial investment? I would argue it is. In France, absolutely. In France, they're almost 93% alternative energy and that's because they went all in in nuclear a few years ago. And so they they 93% of their energy is produced by nuclear means. Whereas their neighbor, Germany, they made an effort to go into wind and solar, and they're they're struggling to yeah. meet needs of their citizens. And, th and they're the biggest purchaser um, of the oil and gas from Russia, which is continuing to fund the war in Ukraine. So there you go. It, there's a lot of repercussions. We got to take a break here. This is 5:60 a.m. KBLU Life, Death, and the Law. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law. Right here after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust 
and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to 560 AM KBLU. I'm attorney Adam Hanson, and uh, we've been talking a lot today about alternative energy sources, and primarily the nuclear issue. I think there's a misconception, and this is just my this is my opinion, but I think there's a misconception of nuclear being this bad guy out there, and by using it, somehow we are subjecting ourselves to a Chernobyl-like event. And in reality, it's incredibly safe. Chernobyl, Three Mile Island, the the issues that have happened in the past at these nuclear sites have taught those that were involved how to deal with that type of a uh, meltdown or a, a bad event. And so they're able to put in these security protocols that allow for safer processing of the uranium and, and safer containment of the nuclear waste that is the byproduct of these nuclear plants. And therefore, it's really a no-brainer in my opinion. Of course, this is just my opinion. What do I know? But it is a no-brainer if, if we're going to move to the next generation of energy um, development. Nuclear is the answer to what we've been looking for. Yes, we are the sunniest place on earth here in, in Yuma. And oftentimes, I, I even think to myself, why are we not putting more into solar technology because of the idea that we sit on the specific place on earth to receive the most solar rays uh, in all the world? And so why aren't we doing more to harness that energy. In reality, the technology that we have now, not to say that we can't develop other things in the future in order to bring down costs or bring down the manufacturing process, materials used, but as it is right now, the technology is such that to create solar panels creates more of a carbon footprint and does more damage to the environment than than going all nuclear. Nuclear has the ability to generate so much energy with so little that, um, in my opinion, it's, it's a no-brainer. I'm, I'm excited for the future, what it holds. My only, um, my only concern is the government getting in our way. I don't know what it is about nuclear that gives them the heebie-jeebies other than, you know, what we've talked about, Chernobyl. That I get it. But if you really do the research and you see, well, what happened in these these actual events, that can be avoided. What happened in those big events that we know of because the news broadcasted them, we can learn from those, and, and they have, and they've put in safety provisions allowing for that to be contained or, or do a better job of keeping it safer. And what do you, what's your opinion, Cody? 
Oh, I mean, unfortunately, we learn more from our mistakes than we do our successes. I mean, but that's anything in life. Um, and that being said, though, we've learned um, not only as our, our own country, but globally, we've learned lessons. So, yeah, it's it's much safer. It's much more economical. Um, I, I feel like it's like everything is polarized. So you have people that attach it to the weapon side of things. You have people attach it to the environmental side of things, which is crazy because, like you said, if you look at the consumption it takes to produce um, a solar panel, a windmill versus what a, a nuclear plant produces it, it's like night and day difference so what's the what's the the red tape that's in the way getting back to the constitution okay. we we touched on this earlier if we had howard blitz here our <laughs> constitutional guru he would be all over this issue but from a legal standpoint the constitution allows for or is supposed to protect our rights um when it comes to life death in the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, not death. Oh, I mean, I'm thinking of life, death, and the law. Oh, you're right. You're so close. <laughs> life, liberty, and the pursuit I, of happiness. That's right. Life, um, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So life, where where does the government have the right to step in the in into my place? If I'm a, a private actor and I want to build a small nuclear uh, modular like reactor. Like Doc Brown. Like Doc Brown yeah. and the DeLorean. Yeah. Exactly right. <laughs> If I want to put trash in my car and hope for the best that it burns, where does the government play into this? Well, it's not so much written in our Constitution what happened over the years, and I've talked about this before, and it's, in my opinion, our nemesis, and that's the government agencies that have been created over time. So the we've got the three branches of government, right? We've got the executive, judicial, and legislative. So the executive branch has wide policing powers. That's the, the job of the executive branch of our government and that's what the constitution outlines over the course of time since the constitution was signed and uh, implemented in our country over the course of a couple hundred years we have developed through judicial means through the supreme court uh, the ability for the executive branch to create helping agencies these are agencies like for example customs and border patrol the irs these are we hear these names and we know that's the government. But in reality, they're, they're branches that are agencies that are not, sorry, not branches, but they are under the executive branch rule, meaning we don't have the ability, you and I as commoners in this Commonwealth of the United States, we do not have the ability to have a say as to what the rules are that are promulgating from promulgated from these agencies. We don't have the ability to vote on who's the director of these agencies or who the the operating powers that be are of these agencies, all we have the ability to do is elect a president or elect uh, legislators. Oh, I was going to say, in our elected representatives don't have the ability to replace some of these people. I mean, in, in some cases, like the cabinet, you know, there are, um, they are appointed by the Senate or, you know, approved. But point being is there are some of these bureaucracies that, you know, we as voters have no say of, or our, our representatives that we send to Congress have no say, you know, and, and they pull those kind of tricks. So what, what we have on our hands is an issue with not so much the Constitution. The Constitution protects our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But the reason I bring up these agencies is because 
the government gets involved when they have an agency in, let's say, the state of Arizona or federally on right. the federal side, where because the state of Arizona, its own government has the executive, legislative, and judicial branch in many form in Arizona to deal with state issues. But what where the issue comes up is on the state level and on the federal level, and one of these agencies, the Department of Energy, whether it's the uh, one of these uh, agencies that is the watchdog of keeping us as a public safe, I used air quotes there, um, in their role of doing that, they're going to say, well, not anybody off the street can come in here and throw together a nuclear modular uh, reactor. We're going to put, you're going to, first of all, we're going to have some protocols that you have to adhere to because we want to make sure everybody's safe and we're the experts. So we're going to, we're going to put in place uh, a panel of people and we're going to promulgate some rules and you have to adhere to those rules. If you can adhere to these rules, we will issue you a license to create this particular object that can create nuclear power. So what happens over time is you and I as, as commoners in this United States, we can elect our officials to the legislature. We can elect our officials on the local level. We can elect uh, a president of the United States to the executive branch to oversee all this stuff. But when it comes down to the agencies, we don't have any recourse. We can't, we can't really get in there and say, "Hey, we don't like what this guy's doing." And that's what's happening. I would argue now. You know, if you don't like the, you don't like Mayorkas and the Border Patrol, for example, um, uh, there's nothing you can do about that. He is the current individual that the president has appointed and the Senate has confirmed to be in charge of, of making decisions as to when an individual comes through our border, what happens to them? Do we uh, coincide with our current federal law and return them to where they're supposed to, where their, their country of origin? Do we hold them and prosecute them or do we let them go? So he's the guy that ultimately the buck stops with him. That's the same case in all of these agencies. There are unelected officials that are appointed and confirmed by the Senate that are really running the show. If you or an I have an issue with that, if they issue me a license and down the line um, they don't, I, I get there's somebody calls and snitches on me when they come and do an investigation and say, Adam, you didn't meet this, 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 and this of, of our rules, and therefore we're going to revoke your license, we're going to fine you, we're going to do these types of things. If I have a grievance with them, it's not an easy process for me to file a lawsuit. I can't file a lawsuit, really. I have to go first to their administrative judicial hearings. So within these agencies, you've got not only executive power, policing authority, meaning they can find me, they can, they can detain me. Um, the ATF is a good example of that. You know, They can raid your home with a no-knock warrant, and they can confiscate stuff. That's duties of the executive branch. So they can detain me or they can do these policing type powers. And if I don't like it and I have a grievance, then I have to appeal to them, that, that agency, and say, hey, I don't agree with the way that uh, you said I'm, I'm violating your rules. And then they, their own panel and that agency, get to decide, or in other words, they're my judge and jury as to whether or not I did violate their own rules. And if I don't like that, they come back and say, no, you, you did. We don't, you, you did it wrong. And we're going to continue to pursue this action against you um, or keep your, your license invalidated. Or we're going to continue to levy this fine against you. 
If I don't like what they determined, then I, my, my next appeal would be to the higher levels of their, their little, uh, if you want to call it court system within that agency. Ultimately, if I don't like any of that, then I have to go to the next level up, which would be federal court. And now we're going to start the, the lawsuits happening, which is kind of like going to Vegas and thinking you're <laughs> going to win. The house usually always wins in these circumstances. And you'd have to have money resources to do this first and foremost. And that becomes very challenging for the average American that has an issue with an agency and how they've been treated. So you can go through the grievance process all you want. And if it doesn't turn out the way you want, yeah, there's a remedy. You can go to federal court, but hiring attorneys and getting through that whole process is very expensive and time consuming, and it is a drain on your life. And the average U.S. citizen is going to have a very difficult time getting through that process. It takes a lot of money and a lot of backing, really, um, and fortitude to get through it. And let's say everything goes right in the federal court system to the extent that you you lose on the trial level, you lose on the appeal level, and you get to the Supreme Court. Ultimately, it's the Supreme Court that's going to decide whether or not that issue that you bring before them is constitutional or not, whether or not the agency acted constitutionally when it did what it did to you. So this process, there is a process in place, but it's, it's onerous. To say the least. Well, and the thing, like you, you alluded to it, you, you touched on it. Uh, you have to have the resources in place to, you know, go to court for how many years? I mean, how many, you know, responses do you have to make to these agencies? And when you say you, we're talking like your legal team, <laughs> you know, your team of scientists, your team of experts, you know, because clock is running. We've got to go to break. This is Life, Death, and Law, 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. We'll be right back more thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law right here after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law presented by Deason, Garner, and Hansen, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and Law. I'm attorney Adam Hansen, and uh, we've been talking a lot today about nuclear energy and it being a viable source of alternative energy uh, here in the United States and in the world. We've seen an example in France, for example. They they really went all in in nuclear, and it produces about 93% of their, their current power, and uh, they've they've been self-sufficient to to a certain extent, whereas their neighbor Germany went into um, alternative energy sources in wind turbines and solar, and they're really hurting now because it is so, it only produces power 30% of the time during a day and on a good day. And so it's so volatile and unpredictable that it becomes challenging when you're trying to produce power to the extent that I want to use the fridge or I want to use uh, my my power at my house to power the electric vehicle that I drive, for example. So that's a good contrast between France and Germany that we can look to as an example. And we've been talking about the government red tape that gets often put in our way when it comes to anything. We talked about the Constitution being played into this that we have the the we have the right to life, liberty, liberty not death, <laughs> and the pursuit of happiness. And oftentimes these government agencies, in order to do something, they'll say, "Well, you need a license, and we're gonna we're gonna come up with this licensing scheme that you have to adhere to in order to be licensed to do that." With 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 the effort of protecting us as as citizens, oftentimes it becomes too overbearing and uh, very difficult to, to um, uh, implement. And if you jeopardize 
what they have promulgated as their rules, then you have a very onerous process to go through of grievance. Can it be done? Yes. Has it been done? Yes. But the average U.S. citizen has a very difficult time getting through that process because of costs. Cody, over the break, we were talking about how the U.S., why doesn't it act a lot more like other countries around the world? Meaning um, you're saying that in the U.S. we hold ourselves to a really high standard. Well, yeah, I mean, we hold ourselves to this higher standard. You know, you, you said we haven't built another plant in the past 30 years or so. But what's the point when Russia scuttles? Is that the right term for sinking your, your submarines or your boats? They scuttle their nuclear subs in the Arctic. You know, like if the rest of the world, you know, is contributing towards, you know, nuclear uh, radioactive issues. Waste. waste uh-huh. Yeah. You know what? It's a global problem, you know what I mean? So we're just kind of hurting ourselves here by what, putting what this red tape in place. What would you propose? I mean, what's the answer to that? Um, I mean, get the politics out of it. I mean, it, and it, that is such a generic answer, but that's the answer because people – energy shouldn't be a political issue. You know, what's the cleanest, cheapest form of keeping us, you know, safe and, and alive? There shouldn't be politics involved in that. Unfortunately, there are, there are. So – we, we gotta we gotta remove ourselves from that, you know. I mean, you deal with the red tape all the time, and like with with estates and people dying, you have to die. That's part of life, you know. And there's still issues that come up that families have to deal with, that you know, unfortunately, require you know experts and attorneys and you know people to walk you through. And that's what we deal with on a daily basis. I'll have a customer, not a customer, but a client come in, and they'll tell me this story about what's happened to them and their family, and and they just don't know what to do. And most of those problems are, are because of um, government red tape that has been implemented over time. And oftentimes it requires court intervention or action. And, and so when a, when a person is faced with that, it becomes very stressful, especially if you've never done it before. And so we pride ourselves on helping families through those issues. We want to be here to get through that red tape and navigate that for you so you don't have to worry about that. So if you don't have... Uh, anything set up, let's say a will or a power of attorney or a trust, and you want to know more, go to our website, yuma.law, as simple as that, and cruise around, get some answers to some of your questions. And more importantly, give my office a call because we can get you in and sit down with me or with Sean and we can talk about your family and your particular needs and how can we help you avoid the government red tape that is inevitable if you don't do anything. A lot of people um, will not want to think or they avoid this issue altogether because they don't want to think about it. It's sometimes uncomfortable. To me, it's become my everyday because that's what I do. And I enjoy looking for solutions to issues that are presented. And to others, it becomes very stressful to think about what happens with my car, what happens with my house, what happens with my bank accounts, what happens with my business, you know, if I were to get in a car accident or pass away. So these issues, if you think about them, to the average person, it might be very burdensome or stressful because you don't know offhand what it would be like or, or what it would entail. You just know generally it wouldn't be good for those that I, I leave behind. And most people don't want the court to be involved in their family's life or um, the, the government in any way to be involved in their life, especially when they're going through the death of a loved one and having to go through that grievance process. So we know how to get through that process because we do it over and over and over again 
day in, day out. And if you need help, give us a call. If you have nothing in place, this is a great place to start uh, is at our office. And we have a video that you can watch online that kind of tells you your options. Um, and so if you go to our website, it's right there on the front page. And as you scroll down just one or two scrolls, you'll see a you can see a little play button and you can watch that video and get more information. It's a great place to start because it tells you the options that are available to you. And then you can come sit down with Sean or I. We offer that for free because we want to make sure that your family is protected and, and you understand what the ramifications are and the basics about what you can do to, to protect yourself. And we help you do all that so you don't have to worry about it. That's what we're here for. I love that. When I go to a place and um, they, they take care of me, you know, and I don't have to worry about the stressful things. They take care of it for me. And um, I know that I have confidence in them getting it done and doing it right. And I can just go about my daily work knowing that I've got somebody that's got my back and doing these things over here, like an investment advisor, or you've got uh, bankers out there that, that you could trust um, in certain banks. And, and so these individuals, these professionals, when put into your life, are really a blessing and they can help alleviate the stress. And that's what we want to do for you. So if you don't have anything in place, call our office and let's get started. And if you do have something in place, call my office and let's get started reviewing it because I, I bet you that it's been a little bit of time since you put that together and maybe things have changed and that's okay. The laws change, uh, family circumstances change, and that happens, that's life. So let's sit down and look at what you already have in place and we can give you a quick analysis as to whether or not it's doing what you want it to do, are there some issues that it's creating, or if it needs to be updated, what does that look like and how can we help you with that? So uh, we'll talk to you next Monday. This has been Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM KBLU. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner & Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.